Hey, this is Junior Ziegler. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I hope this time in God's Word encourages you. Hope it brings you closer to God. Hope it challenges your perspective. Glad you're joining. Enjoy the message. We got a quick question to start off this message, and that is, have you ever been rejected? Have you ever been rejected? And, and for some, this is a difficult question to sit in because immediately that situation comes to mind. It's that ex. It's that parent. For some, this is a fresh wound right now because with everything going on with COVID, they had to downsize at work and you were one of the first ones to go and it's that feeling of rejection as you sit at home. I mean, rejection is a terrible feeling, isn't it? When I was a freshman in high school, my school went to a camp uh, before going to camp, I was like really excited. My two friends and I had talked about rooming together at camp, and we were going to find some camp cuties, and we were going to finally have the courage to talk to them. I was so excited for camp. But on the bus trip up to camp, one of the popular guys on the bus thought it would be funny to get all the guys in the school to room together in one cabin except for me and, and leave me out. And they were all laughing about how funny of an idea this would be. They would all sign up, and they wouldn't let me sign up with them. Even my two friends caved into the peer pressure and got in on the laughing, and they actually followed through on it. Uh, they all signed up to be in a cabin, and they told me that I could not sign up to be in their cabin, so I had to sign up to be in another school's cabin. And I remember that horrible feeling of walking away from those sign-in sheets, rejected, as much as I acted all tough like it didn't hurt. It did. And I bet you've been there. I bet you are there. At some level, you're there right now. I mean, the fact is, we all face rejection. We, we, we can all say yes to this question because we, we can face form of rejection weekly. Because come on. There's that one person that you just can't seem to impress. There's, the, there's those people that you just... They just won't take you seriously. There's that group of friends that just won't invite you. That, that parent or, or that in-law you just can't please. That supervisor that you just can't do anything right for. Or that significant other that's pulling away and, and slowly rejecting you. Or you're single and, and, and it's starting to feel like rejection from a whole gender. I mean, all of us are there somewhere in that. And yeah, you know, you play it off like it's not a big deal or it doesn't bother you, but it does. Like we all know rejection, we face it all the time, and, and it sticks with you, doesn't it? Rejection's hard to forget. I remember every team I did not make. I remember every job that I did not get. I don't remember every girl that turned me down, because that is a lot of no's to remember, but I remember many of them. We all remember rejection, because it sticks with us. And sometimes it becomes a chip on our shoulder that drives us to prove them wrong, but often it ruins us. And chances are, there's some level of rejection in your life right now that is ruining you. Because you can't let that person go. You can't let that situation go. How they didn't accept you. How they don't approve of you. It's eating away at you. And, and though you wouldn't necessarily admit this, it's affecting you. It's infecting you. And what's even worse is, a form of rejection will happen again in the future because that's life. How do you deal with that? 
How do you face rejection, whether past or present or future, and move on in such a way that you can handle it again without crumbling each time? Well, today we find Jesus facing a stinging rejection. And what he does and how he handles it gives us a clear roadmap into how to face rejection and keep going for what God has for you. It's as if in this text, I love this, it's as if in this text, Jesus says to you, Jesus says to me, hey, you want to you wanna face rejection and keep going? Come follow me, I'll show you how. This, this is awesome. Mark chapter 6 is where we're at today. Mark chapter 6. Uh, if you're sitting there and uh, you're not grabbing a Bible, I really encourage you to do so, uh, whether it's on your phone or maybe a, a Bible uh, on your bookshelf or on your uh, table um, or even on your computer. There's Bible Gateway. You can pull up the Bible on there. But really encourage you to have a Bible as we look at this text together. Mark chapter 6. We've been slowly going through the book of Mark this year, a little bit by little bit, verse by verse. And we just get into Mark chapter 6 today. Let me pray before we jump into this. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you are ready and wanting to speak to us. And God, I ask that we listen to you. I ask that your Holy Spirit work in our hearts right now to convict us, to bring situations uh, that we need to address to our minds. And God, may we be open for what you have to say to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 6. Look at verse 1. Mark writes this. He went away from there and and came to his hometown. He, meaning Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. You ever go back to your childhood stomping grounds? I love going back to my hometown of uh, up up in Wisconsin, um, going over the railroad tracks behind the park where my friends and I used to hide out. uh, We'd drive past the barn that in middle school my friends and I, which I had to do cow tipping, didn't work. Uh, there's that field that my friend and I, we rolled his go-kart a couple times, and I thought I broke my arm, or uh, that gravel driveway that I always drive past. I hated that gravel driveway, delivering pizzas to that creepy old house uh, in high school. Or, or up on the hill was the, was the church that I spent so much time in as a kid, and the, and the big oak tree behind the church that my friend and I would, would, would climb all over. It can be fun to go back home and just visit. Very nostalgic driving around your hometown, isn't it? That's what Jesus is about to do. See, he's been living on the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel. In fact, the first five chapters of Mark mainly take place in and around the Sea of Galilee, but not today. Last week, we left off Jesus on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, where he healed a 12-year-old girl, actually raised her from the dead. Uh, This sent shockwaves throughout the region. The little girl was just raised from the dead. I mean, everybody's talking. Jesus' popularity is going through the roof. From here, he takes a 25-mile trek to his hometown of of Nazareth. Nazareth at the time was a little one-horse town on a hill known to be a hick town. In fact, people would poke fun at Jesus for being from Nazareth because it was out in the sticks. They would say, what good comes from Nazareth? And Nazareth was a town of, of little caves. In fact, if you were to visit there today, you'd see what little remains from the old town of Nazareth is mostly in caves. It was a small little cave town, no big businesses, not even big enough for a dollar general. It was that kind of a small town. And then Jesus makes his way there. I imagine Jesus walking with his disciples, and as they got closer to Nazareth, he was, he was pointing out landmarks. You see that tree up on the top of that hill? 
that's my favorite spot to, to just get away and, and hide out. Or, see that town over there, Sephora, that's where my dad used to work. And, and my mom would take us to go bring him lunch all the time. See that cave behind that hill? That was the best hiding spot, guys. My, my brothers and sisters, we hid there for hours one day without being found. I mean, this is a very special trip for Jesus. It's home. It's, he's going to go teach in the synagogue that he grew up learning in as a child. And, and as the road grows more familiar, Jesus is torn. He's excited to be home. He's excited to hug his mom, hug his brothers, hug his sisters, maybe even have a grill out with his neighbors. But he also knows the chances of his old friends accepting him as God. Those are some slim chances. This homecoming could either be a great story or he'll be rejected by those he loves. And he's going to find that out on the Sabbath when everybody gathers in the synagogue and he teaches. Mark continues. He writes, and on the Sabbath, so the day has come, when the little town would gather to listen to the hometown boy teach. I imagine that morning Jesus waking up in a an all-too-familiar room, his old one. He sits down at the table that he watched his dad make. Each nick and each scratch in the table has a story that he could tell. He looks out the window as the sun illuminates the hill town. It, it, it just seems simpler here in Little Nazareth. There's no crowds. There's fewer requests for him. It's, it's good to be home. Mary is probably beaming with excitement as she makes breakfast for her son who came back to visit. She can't wait to hear him teach in the synagogue that she too grew up in. This is a proud day for Mary, and you can tell in her face. But Jesus doesn't share as much of the excitement. He's taught in many synagogues, but this one will be different. His former teachers will be there, his, his mentors will be there, his old friends will be there, their parents will also be there. After breakfast, he Steps off his front porch. And just up the road is that small little synagogue he spent decades in as a student. Today, though, the student becomes the teacher. And that doesn't always work out so well. He ducks through that old synagogue doorway past his favorite seat that he sat in as a child. And up to the corner of the room, he's about to put himself out there. And on the Sabbath... He began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Luke, who also writes about this moment, tells us that things went well at first when Jesus begins teaching. Uh, we see it in verse 2 here. People, people are astonished. He just gets started. But people are whispering, hey, this is, this is good. Write, write this down. Tweet that. This is some good stuff. But then Luke adds, he gets into more detail. He says that Jesus started saying some more politically incorrect things. Biblically correct things, but politically incorrect things. He started saying some more edgier, convicting stuff. And, and that astonishment turned to annoyance. And people started getting upset with the preaching. Which happens. Not with me, of course. You know, what's interesting is uh, one common frustration that um, we get at the bridge, and I think every church actually shares this, um, but one common frustration that we hear is the preacher was specifically talking about me in the sermon. I remember one person, um, they're gone now, so I guess I can talk about them. Uh, they, they actually left because they said that I, I preached a full sermon about them. I hardly knew this person. I, I maybe had one conversation with them. 
Um, but other speakers, other teachers at the bridge, they, they'll have, um, they've had people upset with them. Even spouses get upset with them because they thought that their spouse requested a sermon for them to hear. They thought that their spouse came in to meet with the pastor to tell us what to preach for that weekend. Like people are sw- slipping us $20 bills. Hey, preach a sermon on patience because my husband really sucks at that. Now, we don't do that. That, that would not be right for us to do. But I kind of get it because here's what happens. And, and I believe this is what's happening here in the text. The Holy Spirit works while we study God's word. Well, every time we preach, and I just prayed this earlier, but every time we preach beforehand, we pray for the Spirit to, that would, it would work, that would, it would move throughout the people, and all of us, including myself, and that it would open our hearts, that he would open our hearts to God's word. And so as we look at God's word together, like we're doing right now, the Holy Spirit is very active, working on our hearts, convicting us, bringing situations to our minds. It's an awesome thing how it works. But what can easily happen is as the Holy Spirit works, we're not quite sure how to interpret that, and we respond to that conviction with anger. Instead of accepting the conviction and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us, we can get angry and we can cast blame. Oh, the preacher's talking about me right now. My husband totally told him about my situation. And when that happens, we miss the truth of God's word and the work of the Holy Spirit. Because conviction doesn't always feel good. And our first reaction, I've been there, our first reaction can be anger and it can be blame. And that's, I believe that's what's happening in the synagogue here in Nazareth. As Jesus begins teaching, he starts preaching with some real conviction, saying some difficult stuff. At first, they're thinking, hey, we like this guy. He's easy to listen to. But then Jesus starts getting more convicting and more convicting. And then verse 3 happens when people start responding this way. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not these sister, his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Who's this guy who thinks he can come in here and tell us this stuff? Like we used to see this guy running around in diapers. Instead of allowing the conviction to sink in, they instead attack and try to discredit the teacher. Who is this guy? And they take offense at him. Because we believe if we can discredit the teacher, the messenger, we're exempt from what the Holy Spirit is convicting us about. I have been very guilty of this in the past. I don't want to do what the speaker is telling me to do. And so I'll discredit and I'll reject the messenger. That's what's happening here with Jesus. And so there stands Jesus. And picture this. In his old synagogue, his siblings are there, his mom is there, friends are all around, his old mentors, his old teachers are sitting there, and he is stopped partway through his message. That's embarrassing. When I was in middle school, I, I went to a, a small little country school, and choir was a required class. Everyone had to take choir together at the same time. Grades 7 through 12 had to take choir as one class. I hated choir, and the choir teacher hated me, probably for good reason. But one day, the choir teacher, he got up in front of the school and said, anyone who tries out for a solo for the upcoming a program will get an A in the class. All you need to do is try out, and I will give you an A in the class. Now, I needed that A, so I signed up to try. I wasn't going to win the solo. I knew that. I'm a horrible singer, but I signed up just because I needed that A. Little did I know when I signed up, and I don't think I would have signed up had I known this, but the audition wasn't just you and the choir teacher. The audition was in front of the whole class, grades 7 through 12. So I got up 
in front of everybody. I sang off key. My friends were laughing in the corner. The teacher actually stopped me halfway, halfway through my audition. I was that bad. Stopped me halfway through. I was beat red, embarrassed. Stopped me halfway through. That's where... That's what's happening here. Jesus is in a similar situation, only it's worse. It's in front of his old buddies, his old teachers, his siblings, his mom, and they stop him mid-sermon to let him know, we don't take you seriously. We're taking offense at what you say. Isn't this, isn't this Jesus, the, the, the carpenter? Public rejection by those who knew him well. That's the thing with rejection. I, I, think you could, I think you would agree on this. Rejection by the people you're closest to hurts the most. Doesn't it? Being rejected by a complete stranger, that's, you know, that, that's easy to get over, whatever. But it hurts when it's someone very close to you. And Jesus is feeling that here. But he doesn't lash out. He doesn't call down fire and brimstone. He doesn't tear them apart in debate. Though he could do all of that. Instead, look what he does. Verse 4. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. This actually, this isn't a, this quotation here isn't a quote from the Old Testament. It's actually a quote from a well-known saying during that time from Greek philosophers. Another way to say what he's saying, and this is a phrase that we say today, familiarity breeds contempt. That's what he's getting at. The more familiar you are with something or the more familiar you are with someone, the more you take it or you take them for granted. This is just human nature. Like, uh, think about it this way. We, we could have an amazing singer at the bridge, and we do, we, we, we have a few, we actually have several amazing singers at, at the bridge. And the first five weeks they sing, we can be blown away. Wow, they are such a great singer. They are so good. But week six, seven, eight, and beyond, that singer's quality becomes the norm and we get used to it and it's not so spectacular anymore. That's what Jesus is saying is happening here. They're familiar with Jesus. They knew him. They grew up with him. They're used to him. Nothing special to them. And so Jesus chalks it up to that. Now he doesn't crumble. He doesn't lash out. He doesn't act all tough like it doesn't hurt. He just says, you know, whatever. A prophet isn't welcome in his hometown. Familiarity breeds contempt. And he's giving us a lesson here. A lesson that's easy to miss in this verse, but a lesson that we really need. Because you and I, we face rejection all the time. Whether it's at work, friendships, dating and marriage, with kids, people not liking you, people not taking you seriously, people leaving you. Rejections are a part of life and they can easily ruin us. And here, Jesus steps out in front and says, hey, follow me. I know rejection. Follow me through it. And what he's getting at here is don't overthink it. How to face rejection like Jesus, don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. Every time we face rejection, it, it makes us think. And, and it should. We, we should think. We, we should evaluate. Okay, this, this breakup just happened. I'm feeling rejection. Did I play a part in what just happened here in, in this breakup? Uh, I didn't land that job. Did I play a part? Is there something that I could do better to land the next job. Those are very good, healthy questions to, to consider. The danger is, though, we begin to overthink everything. And the difference between thinking and overthinking is obsession. Replaying every little thing over and over, which leads some people to blame themselves for everything. I've seen too many women blame themselves completely for their husband cheating on them. I've seen too many kids blame themselves for their parents splitting up. 
That's not their fault. They just got overthinking and obsessing, and that's where it brought them. Jesus doesn't do that here. Jesus doesn't respond with, hey, are you guys not listening to me because, you know, I got lost in the temple when I was 12? Is that why you guys aren't listening to me? Are you not, are you not taking me seriously because, you know, I'm a carpenter? Are you guys not taking me seriously because, you know, you, some of you think I'm an illegitimate child? Is that the problem going on? Jesus doesn't do that here. In this moment, Jesus realizes something that we need to realize. Some people are just not going to like you. Some people are just not going to take you seriously. Some people are just going to leave you out. You're going to get dumped. You're going to get rejection letters. And it stings and it hurts. But don't overthink it and beat yourself up. Now, is that easier said than done? Yeah, absolutely. But some of us need to hear that. That's not all, though. Jesus has got more. Verse 5, Mark continues. He says, and he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. This is a very curious verse, isn't it? It almost seems weird. Like, he could do no mighty work in Nazareth? That doesn't seem right, does it? Jesus is God. God can do anything. What's going on here? Jesus can't do something? Yes, God can do anything. But on earth, Jesus chose to limit him, himself to human response. So his, his power and people's faith worked together. Faith, people's faith played a role. Jesus didn't come to put on a show. People's faith in God played a part in the work that Jesus did. So what Mark is saying here is while Jesus was at home, Jesus healed a few people who had faith, and maybe people who were too sick to really have an opinion about Jesus, maybe Jesus healed them too. But for the most part, many missed out because they didn't have faith in Jesus. That's what Mark is getting at here. What I find interesting, though, about this verse is Jesus stuck around, and he healed who he could. After being publicly rejected and embarrassed in front of those that he grew up with, he didn't ghost everyone and take off. Now, I don't know about you, but that's what I would want to do. Like, screw this, I'm out. You guys don't want to listen to me? You guys don't want to take me seriously? I got a crowd of people waiting 25 miles away. I don't need this, I don't need you, so I'm out. But Jesus didn't do that. He stuck around for a bit, and he did what he could. And he's giving us a lesson, another lesson on how to face rejection. This next one is a hard one. It's one you don't necessarily want to hear. It's definitely something we're not going to want to do. But this is what Jesus did. You're facing rejection. Someone took off. That click doesn't accept you. You can't please that person. Don't overthink it. But also, don't burn the bridge. Don't burn the bridge. Oh, but the thought of burning the bridge and letting them have it, it just feels so good. That's so why Carrie Underwood's song was so popular. You know, I dug my key into the side of his prayer. This is why I got stopped halfway through my audition. But um, the idea of letting them have it, it just feels so good. This is why it's like 50% of female country singers' material all is surrounding burning the bridge and, and, and sabotaging whatever's left of, of whatever's there. And many of us give in to that. Burning bridges is what we want to do. When we hurt, we want to destroy what's left. We want to slam that company, attack that person, make them hurt as much as we're hurting. Whatever's left of the relationship, we want to light it on fire and get out of there. But Jesus didn't give in to that urge. 
I think of that day that Jesus is rejected in the synagogue and everybody's leaving. Instead of taking a right down the road, back down the hill, to the crowds that want him and accept him, he instead took a left back into town where the majority rejected him. And he loved them, and he was good to them, and he did what he could until it was time to move on. And that is extremely hard to do. But the day that Jesus did move on and go back to Galilee, he walked down that hill from Nazareth with his head held high because Nazareth couldn't pin anything on him because of verse 5. He was good to them. I know that X really burned you. I know that, that parent deeply hurt you. I, I know that, that click that, that's bothering you. I know it's not right. I know that, that company crushed your plans. But if you really want to get past this, follow Jesus by loving when you can. Refuse the counterattack. Don't burn the bridge. Leave that for God to use one day. Because I believe he may. Let's finish up the text. Verse 6. Mark says, and he marveled. So he's in Nazareth, and he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Look at that last line. He didn't stop. A lot of people would have at least taken a good long break after this experience. You know, like, you know what? I just had a bad experience. Uh, I was just like publicly humiliated in front of my hometown. I'm not ready to put myself out there again. I've had those pity parties. I've thought those things. Oh, you know, I got a mean email. I just don't want to put myself out there and preach again. Thankfully, that wasn't Jesus. Thankfully, Jesus was stronger and more resilient. He didn't quit. He kept doing what he was supposed to do. He knew haters going to hate, 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 but he's just going to shake it off, shake it off. Come on, that is T-Swift and Carrie Underwood all in one week, and it's the best sermon ever. Jesus is giving us point number three here. You keep going. Keep going. That relationship didn't work out. That's tough. I'm not downplaying that breakup. That parent took off. It's really hard. I would never downplay that. that. That hurts. You didn't get that job. That group of friends doesn't invite you out. And it stings. And it makes you just want to stop even trying. I know you don't want to put yourself out there. Because you don't want to feel that pain again. I get that. But unfortunately, you only have two options. You can keep going. You'll probably feel that rejection again at some point. Or the second option is you could put up your walls, act all tough like you're not hurt, stop putting yourself out there, and waste your future. I'm glad Jesus chose the first option. I'm glad he kept going. He kept putting himself out there. He kept loving. He kept teaching. He kept opening himself up to people. He kept loving people. I'm glad this little story, these, these little verses here, the beginning of Mark chapter 6, I'm glad this did not stop Jesus, even though it had to hurt him. Fact of the matter is, this rejection for Jesus was just par for the course, if you think about it. Because there would be groups of people that would reject Jesus all throughout his ministry and oppose him everywhere he went, even though he was perfect. 
One of the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus was the stone the builders rejected would become the cornerstone. He was rejected and despised by men. Rejected by his hometown, rejected by his rabbi peers, rejected by many critics, rejected by the religious elite. This life of constant rejection would then lead to the ultimate rejection, standing on a platform as a crowd chanted, crucify him. Moments later, he's hanging on a cross, crying out to God, why have you forsaken me, feeling that sting of rejection? Jesus kept going after Nazareth's rejection, rejected him, and the truth is, he felt that sting of rejection constantly, but it never stopped him, because Jesus' goal, his mission, was to face ultimate rejection, so that you could face ultimate acceptance. The reason followers of Jesus should keep going in the face of rejection is because we have ultimate acceptance by the God of this universe. Yeah, that that parent may have taken off. And that ex dumped you. And those friends don't seem to want to hang out with you. And, And that company may have written you off. But because of Jesus, God will not. Because we have the ultimate acceptance, we can walk through rejection knowing it's not the end all. That rejection doesn't define who you are. Because the rejected one provides you with acceptance where it really matters. Now I'm not saying rejection's not going to hurt. Rejection's going to hurt. It's going to sting. The difference is, and don't miss this. The difference is, the rejected one who has gone before us, Jesus, leads us to acceptance that eclipses everything else. That is why you don't have to overthink it. That is why you don't have to go and retaliate and burn the bridges. And that is why you can keep going. That is what fuels you to keep moving forward with hope, not allowing rejection to make you crumble. I hope you don't face rejection. Chances are, you will. Don't overthink it. Don't retaliate and burn the bridges. Keep going. But ultimately, remember, you are accepted where it matters most. Because Jesus faced ultimate rejection. And now you can have ultimate acceptance. And that changes everything. Hey, thanks again for listening. And if you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. Better yet, hit that share button. Maybe screenshot it, share it with your friends. Thanks again for joining in. And until next time, God bless.